Good evening, and welcome to Kel's Wonderful Life. Whenever I get online and chat to my friends back home, they always ask me, So Kel, what have you been up to? To which I say, working. This does not deter them, however, and they immediately ask, Well then, what have you been doing in your time off? To which I just laugh. Academics don't get time off. You're always on the clock, and the work never ends. Since I arrived in the US, I've regularly been pulling 10-12 hour days, and there's scarcely a day that I don't go into the lab. This last fortnight has been particularly rough. I've been up until 3am most nights, writing and revising papers. But I'm okay with that. If you want to get ahead, that's the price you have to pay. No, what I want to talk about is a fantastic technology that enables us to keep getting up in the morning and doing this day after day. I speak, of course, of coffee. There is a saying that civilization is four meals away from anarchy. I would go on further and say that society is only two cups away from total chaos. I can barely function without my morning brew, and I'll warrant that many people feel the same. When the supply of coffee breaks down, global disorder can't be far away. Coffee, as many of you know, is made from the ground beans of the coffee plant, roasted and brewed in hot water to produce a brownish caffeinated liquid. What you might not know is that coffee is the most traded commodity in the world after oil. In fact, coffee has a long and often political history. One tale tells that it was originally discovered by a monk who noticed goats eating the cherries of the coffee plant and getting totally wired off it. It was quickly found that the seeds promoted alertness and wakefulness, useful for long prayer vigils. The first coffee prepared as it is today was produced in Arabia in the 15th century, where the innovation of roasting and brewing was introduced. As alcohol was prohibited in the Islamic states, there was no equivalent of pubs as popular meeting places. The establishment of coffee houses quickly brought about a new culture of social interaction over a steaming cup of joe. Such was their popularity as meeting places for the rowdy proletariat that the religious leaders in the Ottoman Empire outlawed it, along with smoking, on pain of death. Ironically, the death of Sultan Murat IV from alcohol abuse brought about a weakening of the theocratic regime that ultimately restored coffee to favour. When it reached the West via Italy, moves were made to ban it by the Vatican because it was considered a Muslim drink. It didn't work, of course, and soon the coffee trade was booming. It was such a lucrative business that it was forbidden to export coffee plants from Arabia so as to maintain the control of the global coffee market. Less than a hundred years later, though, Peter van den Broek successfully smuggled seedlings into the Netherlands, and from there it spread to Europe. Coffee quickly became popular in Britain, especially amongst the lower classes. Following the defeat of Cromwell and the Puritans, King Charles II was so alarmed by the things being said by disaffected ruffians in coffee houses that he outlawed them in 1675. Needless to say, public outcry soon led to the retraction of that order. The Puritans themselves, having fled to the New World to avoid religious persecution, decided that coffee was morally corrupt, and legislators in Connecticut, where I now live, decided to ban it, along with alcohol, tobacco, and fun. Ironically, when the British imposed a tax on tea, Americans rebelled by drinking coffee instead, and it's been popular here ever since. In the 500 years since its discovery, coffee has changed radically from its first formulation, and is now available in everything from a light soy decaf fair trade vegan latte to short black and acidic. It most commonly takes the form of a thick vile bitter slag sold at McDonald's to desperate narcoleptic office workers. Coincidentally, coffee makes up about a quarter of a typical North American's water intake. Even today, the undisputed popularity of coffee hasn't stopped people from speaking out against it. Most commonly known are the coffee teetotalers who decry its presumably inherent harmful effects. 
Certainly coffee is notorious for its harmful effects when taken in industrial quantities. However, in moderate doses there's been no commonly accepted evidence for the increased health risk from coffee consumption by healthy people at all. And some studies have even reported benefits in decreasing the risk from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, heart disease, diabetes, and gout. And then there's the prohibition of coffee by religious groups like the Church of Latter-day Saints and the Seventh-day Adventists. Bizarrely, the Mormons avoid it because Joseph Smith once said that hot drinks weren't for the belly. So, rather than waiting for it to cool, they avoided it completely. Which seems perfectly in line with the degree of rational thinking we've come to expect from them. The Seventh-day Adventist church, at least, snubs coffee, tea, and alcohol in favour of a health-conscious vegetarian kosher diet. It may not make sense, but at least they're trying to better themselves. Generally speaking, anti-coffee activism strikes me as merely an extension of the principle that anything enjoyable must be bad for you. Of course, now we live in a world dominated by franchise coffee chains, instant coffee blends, rainforest-friendly, free-range cultivation co-ops, and industrialized transnational bean conglomerates. While there are no countries that currently ban coffee, it's still a hot topic, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go make another cup. I've got another long night ahead of me. This has been Kel's Wonderful Life, where there's always more work to do. Guaranteed. Thank you.